Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Last week, a week ago today, in fact, Joe Biden signed uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. It was seen as a big victory for the Democrats. It's a massive, massive, massive piece of legislation, and it covers all kinds of things. Um, it's you Remember the Build Back Better bill? Dumb name, but that's where they sort of started. Didn't get it done. Didn't work. Uh, they sort of reworked it, focused it on some new areas, came back with the Inflation Reduction Act. And they got it passed. Uh, it does all kinds of things. Like I say, it includes um, a 15% corporate minimum tax rate. So any business has to pay a minimum of 15% in the United States. Um, taxes on individuals and households don't change. Uh, prescription drug price reform is one of the things in there. So that they're going to negotiate on the price of prescription drugs and bring down the price. Um, tax enforcement, the IRS is going to be ramped up. It's going to extend um, Affordable Care Act subsidy extensions, the Affordable Care Act, of course, dealing with um, medical insurance in the United States. And there's also almost a half a trillion dollars directed towards energy security and climate change investments. $369 billion will be spent on those areas. That includes all kinds of things, investment in climate protection and security, tax credits for households to offset energy costs, as we know about inflation going on, investment in clean energy production, tax credits aimed at reducing carbon emissions, electric vehicles are mentioned, all kinds of different things. So to walk us through what we can expect to see and how it's gonna impact us, we're joined now by Markham Hislip, who's an energy journalist and publisher of Energy News. Markham, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time. Good morning, Shay. You know, when we talk about almost half a trillion dollars being invested into the clean, into energy in any way, shape or form uh, by our biggest trading partner, that's going to have an impact on what happens here, isn't it? Well, it's really interesting that in the past week or two, the emphasis in uh, Canadian commentary on the Inflation Reduction Act has been all around the emissions, uh, the greenhouse gas emissions yeah. reductions. And and I've done a couple of interviews with American uh, modelers who say that about 40 percent uh, reduction by, by 2030. But I'm also because we do uh, U.S. energy journalism as well. I'm on a lot of you know mailing lists and so on from analysts, and and the emphasis down in the U.S. is much more on the industrial side of this. And the if you remember back in 2020 during the presidential campaign, Joe Biden's uh, campaign platform had a couple of paragraphs in where he said the United States is losing the clean energy economy race to China. And, you know, in electric vehicles and renewables yep. and manufacturing, all these areas. And he said, by 2030, I pledge to put America back in the lead. And from my point of view, the, the Inflation Reduction Act is really uh, a culmination. It's, it's his response to China. And the uh, opportunities that that will afford to Canada, in particular Alberta, I think is, is really where we should be focusing our attention. Interesting. Okay. So walk us through that. I mean, when you talk about what he's doing, there's also, there's that protectionism element to it, and we're trying to get car votes and all the rest. So how do you see Alberta being able to capitalize on what's in this bill? 
Well, Leslie, you bring up an interesting point because the, the Build Back Better Act had, a, just as an example, an EV tax credit that was only going to apply to uh, made in America EVs. Completely, well, right? That's changed. Yeah. That, yeah, but that's changed. In, in, the, in this act, in fact, it takes a much more North American view and it says that uh, if you want to qualify for the $7,500 EV tax credit, that the uh, components and a, p- a percentage of whatever uh, components are in that electric vehicle have to be manufactured either in the U.S. or countries with which the U.S. has free trade agreements, and that, of course, is Canada and Mexico. So we're ideally positioned to take advantage of this act. Yeah, I mean, the new t- as you say, it's now more of a North American approach. But when we talk about the energy security part, what what does that mean? What have you heard about what you know when investing in energy security and making the United States more energy secure? What does that mean, if anything? Right. A lot of that means uh, uh, developing domestic supply chains. So let me give you an example, just from the uh, EV battery supply chain. Okay. Uh, the amount of uh, that, the extent to which China dominates that supply, the global supply chain, is astonishing. So uh, over eighty percent of a few key minerals are uh, found are. Uh, produced by China, 77% of all battery metals refining and process done in China. So if you produce lithium in Alberta, you pretty much have to send it to China to get it refined and then import it back in. Over 80% of cell components like cathodes and anodes that go into a battery are made in China. 75% of the actual batteries, over 50% of global EV manufacturing. And so what the U.S. wants to do is bring is develop all of those supply chains in North America. So if you're if you're Alberta and you're sitting here and you're looking at, uh, you know, we have lithium. We've got a couple, at least a couple of, of companies like E3 Metals and Summit Nanotech that have technology to take uh, lithium out of like oil and gas produced water and briny water. We, Alberta has that technology. So if you scaled that up. Alberta has a chance to play in that supply chain, but why stop at at minerals? Why not look at uh, building refining capacity in Alberta? Because Mm -hmm. it's not anywhere else. So if it's a, if if the uh, uh, field is wide open, why wouldn't Alberta want to rush in and see if there's an opportunity to invest here and create jobs here and process the, the, uh, the minerals here? Yeah, makes perfect sense. Exactly. Yeah. I, a little off topic, but uh, while you're talking about this and sort of being a leader in terms of manufacturing these batteries, I'm sure you're up to speed on what's going on with Saudi Arabia. They're getting really aggressive in this space, aren't they? Well, sure. And they have the capital to do it. That's right. I mean, they're they're talking already about, you know, they're investing in solar in a huge way. They're talking about investing in hydrogen in a big way. And uh, the time is of the essence, Shay. Now, I was I interviewed Dr. Kwesi Mpofo, who is Bloomberg NEF's uh, global head of mining and metals. And we were talking about uh, battery, uh, you know, building battery metal, uh, minerals, mining and processing capacity in Alberta. And I asked Kwesi, I said, well, how long do we have? And I was thinking he would say maybe a decade, maybe at least to 2030, you know, for Alberta to build that up. You know what he said? Hmm. Three years. Wow. He said, if this industry is moving so quickly, and it's true of clean tech generally at the global scale, he said it's moving so quickly in places like Vietnam and Indonesia that want to get in on this space, that if Alberta doesn't move aggressively, organize, get its policy in place, get its capital in place, attract the, the companies or, or you know, grow domestic com- 
companies, whatever the strategy is, but it has to stop taking this kind of laissez-faire, laid back kind of, you know, we'll put together a roadmap in a couple of years and then maybe we'll get some, we don't have, we don't have a decade. We don't even have five years. Alberta has to get moving. That was the message from from uh, Dr. Mpofo. Yeah, especially with the the Saudis getting involved, like you say, just the capital and and you know the wherewithal to get it going, it will accelerate things a lot faster. Um, emissions, emissions, emissions. That's part of what's going on in the United States with this Infrastructure Reduction uh, Act, uh, talking about changing some of the emissions and and you know wrapping it up by 2030. So, how does that all fit in when we talk about trying to do what we're trying to do? The U.S. Are we on the same path, Markham? Well, uh, this is interesting. A couple of uh, Canadian analysts have made the point that up until the, this act was passed, Canada was leading on climate policy by a fair margin, leading the U.S. But now it's flipped on its head. And, you know, the debate in Alberta, and you see it more in Alberta than any other province, the, the, the argument is we can't get too far ahead of the U.S. on things like carbon pricing because we'll put Canadian and Alberta companies at a, at a competitive disadvantage. Right. The, the Canadian analysts are now arguing, oh, hang on a second, that's now been flipped on its head. We're now behind the U.S., and, and Canada and Alberta have to get their climate policy frameworks in place. There's a lot more of it at the federal level as, you know, carbon pricing and so on. We, we've heard that debate now for, for a few years. But now we have to catch up to the U.S. And because capital is now going to flow, it is already flowing into jurisdictions where you have policy certainty. Policy certainty is really important. And you'll remember that back in 2019, Jason Kenney and the UCP tore up the existing climate policy. And there, and climate policy in Alberta has been very much a piecemeal kind of, you know, uh, no consistency to it. There really is no climate policy per se. And it looks like Alberta is going to have to, or it should address that uh, very quickly in the near term if it expects to attract the capital required to aggressively scale up and take advantage of these opportunities. Yeah, to that point, even when the latest climate plan came out from the federal government, uh, a lot of industry insiders in our province said, you know what, we just need something to work with. We just we just need the framework. We need the rule book, and we have that certainty. Uh, that's, that's the starting point. So uh, it's not just you saying that, industry saying it as well. Um, when it comes to oil and gas in the province of Alberta, you and I have talked about this before many times. It's about demand. When do we reach peak demand? When does the demand start to tail off? How long will this last? How does what's happening in the United States change that with the focus on EVs and really ramping up that and all kinds of different, you know, green energy initiatives that are going on to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars. How does that change the timelines and the demand curves for what we do here in Alberta? Well, there's a fair amount of uncertainty about this, but I think it's fair to say that as the U.S. electrifies its transportation sector, that oil demand in the U.S. is going to drop. And, of course, that's where we send all of our oil for export, right? About three and a half million barrels barrels a day. The issue here is that the oil sands in particular have driven down their production costs. They're now, their break-evens are now in the $30 to $40 a barrel range. And the uh, change, uh, the improvements that the companies like Suncor and Sonovas and CNRL and so on are promising are likely to drive those down into the 20s, $20 a barrel or low 30s. So what's changed here is that the oil sands has, in the space of less than a decade, become a competitive barrel. It's no longer a marginal barrel that's profitable when prices are high. It can compete at low prices. And some of these companies, like Sonovas and, and Suncor, have their own 
refineries in the U.S. So Alberta oil is going to be competitive in the U.S. for a long time yet. The problem in Alberta is that the experts I've interviewed say that part of driving down those costs, they're going to destroy jobs. And Ernst & Young, for example, did a study last year that was that estimated 50,000 more oil and gas jobs on top of the 40,000 that have already been lost since 2014. 50,000 more jobs would be lost. So even while Alberta oil is going to be competitive, it won't produce the kind of prosperity and, and jobs that we've come to expect in the past. That's, that's the problem for Alberta. It needs to move from that 20th century energy economy into a 21st century energy economy, and we're not talking about that new energy economy enough. Well, I mean, we always hear the politicians say that. I mean, just yesterday, Justin Trudeau was talking about how Alberta's expertise when it comes to oil and gas will easily transition into the new green uh, energy. But but you're right. We, I mean, we, we don't see the jobs following. We don't see it happening yet. Well, yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and uh, the Calgary Economic Development uh, Authority uh, did a, released a study last year, and it showed that the clean tech sector, and this is an area where Alberta actually already has quite a bit of strength, but it will create by 2050 170,000 jobs. Now, most of those jobs are going to be in Calgary and Edmonton. They're not going to be out in places like Wainwright and Devon and, you know, the, the, the traditional service center uh, regional centers for the uh, oil and gas industry. And so there's going to be some change in the way the energy industry looks, where the jobs are, and the kind of uh, skills that are required, the kind of training and education that are required. This is a big, you know, the energy system is being disrupted on a global scale. Mm -hmm. And, and Alberta is going to have to adapt. Now, in fairness, the industry and the, the government aren't totally oblivious of this, but there are already... Uh, uh, strategies in place, some policy frameworks. I mean, Alberta has begun to adapt. The issue, I, I think, is pace. Right. We just aren't doing it fast enough. And what's happened now is the Inflation Reduction Act is going to dramatically increase that pace. And can Alberta keep up? And can it, in order so that it benefits to a maximum you know, amount or extent, can it do that? That's the big question. Can it scale fast enough? Absolutely. And that remains to be seen. Uh, Markham, as always, appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure, Shay. Thank you. That's Markham Hislop, who is an energy journalist and publisher with Energy News.